Welcome to a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. Because it's a beautiful day. Mm-hmm. A breath of fresh air. Beautiful day. Oh, baby, any day that you're gone away. It's a beautiful day. Oh, and thanks for lending me your ears this hour. It's terrific to have you along. So much in store for you today, including the man who founded the 70s band who had loads of hits, like this one. You fly so high I get a started becoming successful, we'd book out Musicland Studios for like three months. And that process got really boring for me because I'd lay the drum tracks I'd lay down first and then I'd double track them to get that massive sound. More from Electric Light Orchestra's Bev Bevan soon. We're also going to meet an English pop singer by the name of Don Farden, best known for this one-hit wonder. on this reservation Took away our way of life Tommy Hawk and the Bowie Knife I'm looking forward to catching up with Don shortly and if you happen to have someone that you'd like to hear from just send me a message through the website, abreathoffreshair.com.au, and I'll chase them up for you. OK, time to turn to our new music rap. And this week, there's a new single out from Rock and Roll Hall of Famer, Bonnie Raitt. It starts out slow with Made Up Mind, the first single from the album Just Like That that's due out in April. Also released this week is a six CD box set from the late Harry Chapin called Storybook The Electra Years 1972 to 1978. The offering features remasters of much of Chapin's work and as you'd expect all the hits are here. This one's still one of my favourites. It was raining hard in Frisco I needed one more fare to make my night A lady up ahead waved to flag me down She got in at the light Oh, where you going to, my lady blue? It's a shame you ruined your gown in the rain She just looked out the window she said, 16 parks I Something about her was familiar. I could swear I've seen her face before. But she said, I'm sure you're mistaken. And she didn't say anything more. Taxi was Harry Chapin's first ever hit. If you're a fan, don't miss adding this beautifully presented box set to your collection. This is a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day.
Now, my next guest is blues royalty. He's the grandson and longtime drummer of the late, great R.L. Burnside, and he's hell-bent on sharing his music with new audiences right across the globe. Today on guitar, Cedric Burnside plays stripped back and he sizzles like a live wire. Hey, Cedric Burnside, welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Cedric, tell us a little bit about how you grew up. Of course, you've alluded to the fact that R.L. Burnside was, as you say, your big daddy, your, your grandfather, and you really got the love of music from him very early on, didn't you? Oh, yes. Well, just growing up as a one of many grandchildren, you know, I always loved the music, you know, from our area, the Hill Country Blues, even though I didn't know much about it. My big daddy and him used to play house parties all the time. People would come just about every other weekend to hear the music. And I was one of many grandchildren sitting there in amazement, you know, listening at that music. And I started playing it around 10 years old. I was old, I was good enough to go to juke joints. <laughs> And I'm still doing it, you know, to this day. And it's something that I always knew that I'll play until I leave this world. Right. But you're not playing the drums anymore. Now you're mainly playing on the guitar, right? Yes. I have, um, you know, found a newfound love. And I still play drums from time to time. But for my show, I'm mainly on the guitar. forward the mantle of Mississippi Hill Country Blues. How do you describe Country Blues? I have to start off by saying that uh, I think it's something of its own. It's kind of a music that, you know, has its own thing. It's very unorthodox. You know, it's, it's kind of off the beaten pattern. Uh, it's not your regular one, four, five blues. For the most part, my big daddy and, um, you know, all the old cats, Jessamy Hipfield and and Ulter Turner, you know, they all had a unique style of uh, of music. And that music consists of just doing what they feel. You know, a lot of people call it field music because it didn't have really no changes to it. You know, they, they were still on the one sometimes almost for the whole song. So it doesn't really sound like any other style of blues that we know. It does not. It's a sound of its own. Mm. And what about the lyrics? What are they all about? Well, for the most part, I would say they're all about most of them is about rough times. You know, times were, uh, was in the hill country. My big dad and them, you know, um, of course, they was here before us. And, um, you know, they, they went through some hard times sharecropping. It was slavery times as he was growing up. Yeah. So why do you think all of that's still relevant to audiences today? I think it's relevant because it's history. And um, my big daddy was a part of it. And he lived to tell his story. He started to um, share crop at a very early age, you know, getting on a tractor, working from sun, uh, sun up to sundown. And he did that for a bunch of years, you know, till he yeah. was in his late 50s. He worked himself to the bone before his music was able to make a living for him. Yeah. Cedric Burnside, do you have a favourite song of R.L. Burnside's at all? Is there one that really stands out for you? Oh, wow. Um, you know, I, I love a lot of his songs, but one one of my favorites is uh, Poe Black Maddie. Poe Black Maddie got changing clothes. Girl got drunk, close our door. Poe Black Maddie ain't got changed clothes. Told her close that door. Mm-hmm. 
recorded a song on my new album, I'll Be Trying, uh, Bird Without a Feather. That's another song that I, I love to hear him play. And um, that song kind of explains what I say about the unorthodox rhythm of Hill Country Blues as well, because that song has a unique sound and uh, it has a unique rhythm. And it's, and it's kind of off the beaten pattern. You know, if you listen at it, you'll kind of get the idea of where I'm coming from. I never hear anybody do that song anymore these days. That's one that I wanted to put on the album. I think it shows uh, a little bit of how the Hill Country sound, you know, comes out. Just like a bird without a feather You know I'm lost without a look Just like a bird without a feather You know I'm lost without your love You know I need your loving Just like the angels need your heaven above so important for you to continue this tradition, to pass it on to new generations? Uh, my big daddy became a true legend here in uh, Mississippi, Holly Springs, for that style of music. Him and, you know, Arthur Turner, Jesse May Hipfield, um, Mississippi Fred McDowell. I know my, my big daddy don't want it to die. And so um, before I leave this world, I want to I wanna show it to as many people as I can. I'm trying to my girls, you know, my daughters as well. I, I try to show them everything I can on the guitar, everything I can about vocals of, of Hill Country Blues. Are they interested? Oh, they're very interested. Are they talented? They're pretty talented. Yeah, especially in, in vocals. You know, they, they sing very well. Uh, I think they'll get there. <laughs> Cedric, you're touring Australia for the fourth time, following your third Grammy nomination for this latest album called I Be Trying, which you recorded in Memphis in the same studio that Al Green cut his classic sides for high records in the 60s and 70s. So that's pretty cool. Well, I, I have to tell you that we was able to go in the studio and, and start recording right before the pandemic hit. Right when we went in the studio and recorded some of the album, we went, uh, I left the studio and I came to Australia. And Australia is where I got stuck uh, for the pandemic. When I came home, we had to quarantine at home for six to eight months. That's when I finished the album. Right, right, right. Well, it's an awesome album. Tell us about your favorite track. I have to say the world can be so cold. I, I love that song. I feel like that song explains a lot of what's going on in the world today. I, I hope that it inspires people to be a little stronger, uh, love a little more, and just know that the world don't, don't owe anybody anything. What was going on for you when you wrote that? I was kind of going through some some things. I mean, I mean, we all was. That's the song that I, I started writing right before the pandemic. It was weird how everything kind of tied in together. Sometimes life ain't what you expect it to be. It can throw you things you cannot see. No matter how heartbreaking, no matter wrecking your brain, the world don't hold, it don't hold you a thing. The world can be so cold. The world can be so cold. The world. Who's gonna try to tear your life apart? You got to be strong in the thick of the smoke. You 
You got to pray to God for a way to go. The world can be so cold. The world can be so cold. The pandemic's really changed a lot of people, hopefully, hasn't it, for the better? I really hope so. It definitely changed me. Has it? In what ways? I see things a little bit more clear now and um, things don't get me as upset as I, I used to get when I hear bad news or, or when, the, when I get disappointed. It made me realize that life is so much more bigger than us. And so we, we have to live for each other as, as well as with each other. Makes a lot of sense. Cedric Burnside, which song should we go out on? What Makes Me Think. Tell me a little bit about that one. Well, What Makes Me Think is... You know, it's a song about my life at at one point. You know, some things that I did uh, that I'm not very proud of. You know, things that happened to me that kind of disappointed me. And uh, I just kind of wrote about it to kind of comfort myself and hopefully right some wrongs that I did in my life. My woman told me with What Makes Me Think. That song certainly leaves you in no doubt of what he did wrong, does it? The new album, I Be Trying, is out now. Stick with me. Up next, we travel to the British Midlands to meet the man who wrote an ode to soccer player, George Best. Georgie, Georgie, they call you the Belfast boy. Georgie, Georgie, they call you the Belfast boy. They say, Georgie, Georgie, keep your feet on the ground. Belfast Boy from singer Don Farden. This is a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day. Thanks for keeping me company. It really means a lot to me. Ready for a one hit wonder? Call me one hit wonder. Curse me to the day I die. I hit the blunt and just wonder. Incredibly, it was 52 years ago that English singer Don Farden changed his life with a massive hit about Cherokee Indians called Indian Reservation. Now, at nearly 82 years of age, Don says he's really happy with the life that he's lived and he has nothing left on his bucket list to achieve. I caught up with him from his home in the British Midlands. Hello, Don Farden. How are you? Yeah, all right. I mean, I, like everybody else, I'm wearing out. <laughs> You're still in good health and spirits? Oh, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm still doing quite a lot of television work and in Holland and Germany and places like that. But I, I've, I've given up the, the, the massive tours like that I used to do. It's been a while, hasn't it? You first came to prominence back in 1968 when you did that cover version of Indian Reservation. That's right. How did that one come about for you? Well, the guy that, with the record company that I was with was looking around for the material and he went to America and he met the guy that actually wrote it. There was a chap called John D. Loudermilk. And he said, have you got anything for an artist to buy in? And he, he gave him three or four records that he bought back and he chose that. And he said to me, I want, I want to go in the, in the studio over the next 10 days and record this. And I listened to it and I thought, well, that won't be a bloody hit. He was interested in listening to stuff like that. And I couldn't have been further wrong, could I? No. I went over to America and spent some time with the Cherokees and I met Milk and I said, you know, how did you come to write this? And he said, well, my mother was a Cherokee. Uh, he said I was just moved about, you know, by, by what had happened to them. And that's how it came about. Oh, 
After that started climbing the charts? It did, did 9 million copies. It changed my life completely. All the doors that had been locked to me forever had suddenly opened. I'd got massive tours on all over the place. I was playing in all the best places. I got offered it in the, on the continent with films and all sorts of stuff. That's incredible. And then you also covered the Kinks hit Lola in 74. What made you choose that one? Well, I was recording at... Um, the studios that, that, that my record company used was owned by Pi Records. And the Kinks recorded in there, so I knew them quite well. And I said to them, I really fancy doing that. And they said, well, brilliant. I met her in a club down in Old Soho where you drink champagne and it tastes just like cherry cola. C-O-L-A cola. She walked up to me and she asked me to dance. I asked her name and in a dark brown voice she said Lola, L-O-L-A, Lola, la 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 Lola Well I'm not the world's most physical guy But when she squeezed me tight she nearly broke my spine Oh my Lola, la 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 Up with a cover version of Running Bear. Yeah, yeah that was that was that was my uh, recording manager told me to do it. It was because it was about Indians. That was that was the reason that he did it. You became the advocate for the Red Indian. Absolutely. 
absolutely. And how did Running Bear go for you? That, that did all right as well. That made the charts. I've made something like 150 singles and, and 30 albums. Have you? I spent more time in the, in the recording studios than the sound engineers did. I don't think we ever heard many of those songs here in Australia. I'm sure you probably didn't. On the banks of the river Stood running bare Young Indian brave On the other side of the river Stood a lovely young Indian maid Little white dove was a her name Such a lovely sight to see But their tribes fought with each other So their love could never be time I recorded, I would think, would be round about 1979. And why did you give it up? Because I'd always fancied working with my wife, and we decided that we wanted a restaurant. And we went inside two years, we'd got five of them, and that's why we gave it up. And uh, how did that pursuit compare to making hit records and, and travelling around playing for people? <laughs> it's not, not, not as glamorous, for one thing, and it's bloomin' hard work. John Farden, you were a super success through the, the late 60s, early 70s. That's right. You broke into the UK Top 40 in 1970 with a song called Belfast Boy, which was a homage to the talented but very troubled Northern Irish footballer George Best. Tell us a little bit about that one. I was at home one day and the telephone rang and a, and a bloke voice said, I'm a, a film producer. He said, and we've been commissioned to make a film on the life and times of the footballer George Best. He said, we were at the Pigal in London the other night. He said, and we saw you there singing and we wondered if you'd like to do the signature tune for us called The Belfast Boy. And we went into Abbey Road, the Beatles studios, and did it there. As far as I was concerned, that was the end of it. But the, when it came out, it came out of the television programme, because they said it'll never be a record. It's just, you know, a piece of music for this film. They, they jammed the switchboards to the BBC and to Manchester United Football Stadium. And my recording manager, he must have had, he can smell money a mile off. He phoned up and he said to me, come down. He said, get in the studio, we're going to record that. He said, we'll have it out. And that's how that guy came about, and that's how it went in the church. When I saw you, you looked like a diamond As you played in the dust and the grime Just a boy from the country of Ireland And I knew I could make you shine Cause you move like a downtown dancer With your hair hung down like a mane And your feet playing tricks like a juggler And you weave to the sound of your name Georgie, Georgie They call you the Belfast boy Georgie, Georgie They call you the Belfast boy and I went all over the place to various football grounds and they played it over the tunnel at the games at half-time and he and I went out on the pitch and waved and did the bit. I got to know George ever so well. What was he like? The only way I can describe him, he is the most ordinary person you could ever wish to have met. Really? He oozed ordinariness. <laughs> he wasn't bashy, he wasn't, he wasn't loud, he, he, was, he was just, just him. All he thought about was baked beans on toast and a, and a cup of hot chocolate. <laughs> Not even girls. Oh, well, yeah. That, 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 it, 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 but I, I never heard him say, oh, she's nice. Or, oh, I fancy her. Oh, look at him. It wasn't like that. But he was a magnet, he was, for women. I bet. Absolute magnet. Well, he was a strapping young man, wasn't he? Well, that's right. Unfortunately, we lost him in, in 2006. And as a result of that, you decided to re-release that song. Yeah, and gave the proceedings to, to his parents. That's so nice. Don Farden, the one song I didn't talk to you about was Follow Your Drum, which actually topped the charts here. What's the backstory to that one? Yeah, it was just an album track, really. It was just, uh, just another song that I did for a single that was going to be put out somewhere or other. Don't feel bad, son. Don't feel blue, son. If you ain't keeping up with a fella that's in front of 
on your bucket list that you haven't achieved yet? No, I think I've done it. There's a lot of places in the world that I wanted to have visited and I did. I've appeared in all the places that I wanted to appear. You must really love it. I do love it. It's what keeps you young. Don, thank you so much for chatting with us today. It's been terrific to catch up and hear your tales. Very welcome. Nice talking to you. Bye. Don Farden there, and as a footnote, Indian Reservation was first recorded in 1959 by a guy called Marvin Rainwater and covered most notably by American 70s band Paul Revere and the Raiders. streaming time again with media critic Alan Craig. Hi Alan. Hi Sandy. Hi everyone. We had a look this week at an amazing movie, kind of a chilling, thrilling, spoofy horror thing called Fresh. What did you think? Yeah, it comes from this new genre which is pioneered by a guy called Jordan Peele and they're calling it Elevated Horror. I guess like Jordan Peele films, they get the chance to explore difficult issues through this comedy horror genre. And it's interesting. It starts off as a rom-com and you think that's the path you're going down and then it goes somewhere very different and then it just keeps getting more and more different. It's a difficult movie to review without giving anything away and we certainly don't want to do that. But it's a thriller about a young woman who falls for a dashing doctor only to discover that he's hiding a stomach-churning secret. It stars Daisy Jessica Edgar-Jones. She's the English actress best known for her role in the miniseries Normal People as well as Sebastian Stan, who we know for his role as Bucky Barnes in the Marvel media franchise that started with 2011's Captain America, the first Avenger and this movie really lets him go wild. Yeah and look these two work in this film because they look like your standard rom-com players and so you get sucked in which is part of the cleverness of the film but it takes a very sarcastic take. I mean one of the values of treating stuff in this way is it combines horror, comedy and you're watching something which is which is normally quite grotesque and yet you find yourself laughing out loud. I enjoyed it. The subject matter really is about the horrors of modern dating, but the take on it is very twisted. Very twisted indeed. But I think if you go along and you don't get uh, too horrified, then you will get a good laugh because at the end of the day, it is very funny. A lot of the credit for this has really got to go to Jordan Peele, who started off with those two very famous films, Get Out and Us. And if you haven't seen those, I really suggest going and getting them out and having a look at them because that's it done in not such a commercial way. This one is highly commercial. It's highly engaging and it, it will get you in. It will take you places you didn't think you were going. No, that's for sure. I've got to say that I haven't felt like eating very much since I've seen that film. Oh, you're running the risk of giving stuff away here. It's interesting because in the pre-billing for the film, it, it says that the young woman is having trouble dating and she meets a boyfriend who has some strange dating habits. I mean, that's the understatement of the year, isn't it? It's quite funny. I did spend a bit of time with my head between my knees, unable to look at the screen, but it didn't take me too long to look back up again. Well, it's called Fresh, and it certainly lives up to that name, I think. It is pretty fresh, isn't it? I think Jordan Peele would be pretty happy with it. I'm not so sure. I think he would think that his direction is being hijacked and, and not necessarily in a good way. It's called Fresh. In Australia, it's streaming on Disney Plus, or actually in any country that has Disney Plus, that's where you'll find it. And in America, it's streaming on Hulu. So uh, take a look at it. It's uh, horrifyingly funny. Thanks for your time today, Alan. My pleasure, Sandy. Thanks, everyone. Don't go anywhere. Up next, we meet Bev Bevan, co-founder of the Electric Light Orchestra. When we started becoming successful, we'd book out Musicland Studios in Munich for like three months. And that process got really boring. This is a breath of fresh air with Sandy Kay. It's a beautiful day. So glad you're here. I hope you're enjoying what you're hearing.
Time for your segment now, when you get to choose the guest artist. And this week, it's thanks to Wendy from the Tasmanian city of Hobart that we feature the co-founder of ELO, Electric Light Orchestra. 77-year-old Bev Bevan has recently partnered with singer Joyce Strawn Brain, whom he's also joined in the band Quill. Bev and Joy, congratulations on the music that you guys make together. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. we uh, <laughs> like to say a new album and we, 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 we're really proud of it. You said on it that it's the best album you think you've ever played on. That's a pretty big call. Yeah, I said the, the best since ELO's Out of the Blue back in 1978. albums since and uh, this for me is better. You're not just saying that because Joy is your new partner and you're still in love are you? Well I might have something to do with it yeah. No no. So what's it like for the two of you living and working together? Well uh, we were so busy writing all the songs for this album and getting into the studio. It's unlike any other recording process I've ever known because all these years I've been making records since the 60s. And whenever I've gone in and, and put my drum track down, there's always been a bass player there and a guitarist and a, often a keyboard player. But this time, because of the restrictions, we had to do it individually. So it was a long process. I don't know what happened, but somehow it seems to work for us. And of course, we've been really lucky with our special guest. Tell us about who you do have on there. Well, we have Chris Norman from Smokey. Chris and I go back up. He's an old friend of mine. Very distinctive voice. Sally called when she got the word. She said, I suppose you've heard. About Alice. Well, I rushed to the window and I looked outside. But I could hardly believe my eyes. I don't know why she's leaving or where she's gonna go I guess she's got her reasons but I just don't wanna know Cause for 24 years I've been living next door to Alice 24 years just waiting for a chance To tell her how I feel and maybe get a second glance Another old friend is John Lodge from Moody Blues. Tony Martin, I've worked with in Black Sabbath. And Andy Fairweather Lowe. It's been a real labour of love, Sunday. You've seen an awful lot of changes, haven't you? When I started out, one of the first shows I did really was opening for the Beatles with a band called Denny Lane and the Diplomats. And, and Denny Lane went on to form the Moody Blues and then, in later years, uh, joined Paul McCartney in Wings. And, and back in those days, you couldn't do anything like we've just done. You just had to drive somewhere and do something. In the early days with the move, and we started having hits in the 67, it was a bit like the Beatles were doing. You used to go into the studio for a day and record as, as much as you could. <laughs> And because we were, we were working so much, and when you had a day off, you, you booked the studio and did some more. And that worked. Do you remember this one from the move? Flowers in the rain. Woke up one morning half asleep with all my blankets in a heap And yellow roses scattered all around The time was still approaching for I couldn't stand it anymore So Mary goes upon my eye down I'm just sitting watching flowers in the rain Right. 
very opposite. Not to begin with, but when we started becoming successful, we'd book out Musicland Studios for like three months. And that process got really boring for me because I'd lay the drum tracks I'd lay down first and then I'd double track them to get that massive sound. But then we went in the studio and Richard Tandy was layering keyboard tracks one after the other, you know, all for days on end. You know, I'd just go walk about, really. You know, people like Fleetwood Mac, you know, would spend months and months and months making an album. Biff, can you tell me a little bit about those ELO days? Well, the move was very successful in Britain. Had our first hit in 67 and our 10th hit in 72. Extremely tight, five-piece band. And we worked with people like Cream and The Who. And we did a long tour with Jimi Hendrix. And they were great times. But the band started to fall, as bands do. And we brought in Jeff Lynne because um, he's such a talent. We wanted him in the band. But he didn't want to be in the move. To him, the move was, was old news. So we were contractually obliged to make one last move album, which we did, just the three of us, me, me Roy and Jeff, called Message from the Country. And at the same time, we recorded the first ELO album called Electrolyte Orchestra. At one stage, I actually had two hit singles in the charts at the same time. California Man from The Move and 10538 Overture from ELO. Roy didn't stay long. He went out to form a new band called Wizard. And Jeff and I reinvented ELO to a more manageable sort of size, a seven-piece. And we very much concentrated on breaking in America. And we did countless tours of America. Yeah. Bev, who named the band ELO and why? I think Roy Wood came up with the name Electric Light Orchestra because we're very influenced by the Beatles and they were using a lot of orchestras in the studio. They'd never done it on the road. And we were going on the road with like a mini orchestra. So that's where the name came from, really. You're the drummer and yet it's your voice that appears on Strange Magic, doesn't it? Yeah, I did some bass vocals, yeah. Um, Oh, what a... And um, Mr Blue Sky. So, yes, I do... Sailing softly through the sun In a broken stone age dome You fly so high I get a for quite a while as ELO and then uh, you and Jeff had a bit of a fallout? It wasn't as straightforward as that. It was, I loved touring and so we toured from 73 till about 81 and then, but Jeff loved being in the studio and he didn't, he wasn't comfortable on the road and he, he didn't want to tour anymore. So I did and I ended up with Black Sabbath in 83 and 84 and I could really hammer the hell out the drums in Black Sabbath. By the 90s, I wasn't doing much at all. I was doing a lot of radio stuff. I got my own radio shows uh, here in England. But then uh, through the 90s, I put together a band called ELO Part 2 and we got to see the whole world 
probably the yellow part too. But then it became problematic. I was just pretty like that. And Jeff and I had a disagreement and I walked away from the yellow part too. It had run its course for me. So that brings us to today. And I believe you've always been a bit of a fan of the band Quill, even before you fell in love with its lead singer. I used to go and watch them in the ages. Even then I, was, I had a hankering up to the lead singer. Yeah. <laughs> How would you describe the music that you've been making to date? With this album, it's quite diverse, the sound. It's very hard to put a pigeonhole, the band sound, I think. Live, we do a couple of Move songs and we do two ELO songs. And we also do a, a, a Black Sabbath song. We go from heavy metal to um, really lovely... Ballad. Pokey ballad. Did you actually write this album together? We did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. All, um, all the lyrics. Are, yeah, uh, I, I, I usually come up with the title and then we, we start. Then it all seems to come together, yeah. Tell me about your favourite songs. One of my favourites from the beginning is, was a track called Dead Man Walking. I just really love the string arrangements on that and the story behind it. The sun is waking, in the sky. The dream was over. Riding Rainbows, where did the, that title come from? I was looking for um, something that was uplifting and the COVID thing had started and people were, were in a bad place and I was trying to write like a happy song. I'm, I'm, I, yeah, I, I, like, optimistic. I, I like writing sad songs. I've always, I've always loved sad ballads and whatever. But I was looking to write something uplifting. I hope that Riding Rainbows helps people feel a bit better about this, this weird situation that we're still in. Bev, of all the songs you did with ELO, do you have an absolute fave? Probably none of the hits, because maybe I've heard them too many times. I love the concerto for a rainy day. that in my life I've worked with three geniuses really in the music business like Roy Wood, Jeff Lynne, incredible talent, and Tony Iommi from Black Sabbath who basically invented heavy metal music. I've been able to work with, with these guys and I think that's, to me, that's a privilege. What a fabulous career. This is the first one that you've done together? This is the first album that I've played on, totally, yeah. The first of many to come. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, <laughs> we were, we're already working on ideas and songs for the next one and I've already got 
a few pals lined up to try and bring in. I've got, I'm, I'm asking Tony Iommi. I shall ask Paul Carrick uh, and Paul Weller and Roy Wood. Can't wait for that one. Joyce Strawn Brain and, and Bev Bevan, thanks so much for talking with me today. Pleasure Lovely to, to meet you, to you too. Really yeah, is. and I hope, hope one day we meet for real. Thank you. Thank you very much, sir. They make a terrific team, don't they, both personally and professionally. Quill's new album is out now. And that's where I'll leave you for today. Don't forget, if you'd like me to track down someone for you, just send me a message through the website, abreathoffreshair.com.au. That's abreathoffreshair.com.au. I really hope to hear from you. Take care till we meet again. I'll look forward to your company same time next week. See you then. Because it's a beautiful day You've been listening to A Breath of Fresh Air with Sandy Kay. Beautiful day, oh baby, any day that you're gone away. It's a beautiful day.